Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Designing Futures, our podcast about design and the industry of design and the careers, what it takes to survive and build a thriving career in this industry. I'm your host, Angela Yeh. Today, we're going to be joined by Oliver Seil, a global creative leader and one of my colleagues in the design industry. Oliver is the VP of Design at Belkin International, where he leads the company's industrial design, creative, user experience, retail experience, consumer insights, and trade show design teams. With over 20 years of experience in the industry, Oliver has mastered his trade on brand building and business driving product experience by creating brand loyalty with engaging and compelling brand touch points. Welcome to the podcast, Oliver. Hey, Angela. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, you know, you have, you know, the, I talk to a lot of creatives in the industry and to me, your career path is one of those that a lot of creative professionals would envy to have, right? Um, joining a company, um, you know, uh, joining their design team, moving up and progressing within that company, and then progressing to even lead that company's design team to help that company's, you know, succeed. Um, uh, I'd love you to, you know, I guess, tell us a little bit about that, that journey, right? What was that like for you? Um, you know, when you joined Belkin, how did you see those paths ahead, if any? Definitely wasn't a, a long laid out master plan. You know, there's a lot of yeah. uh, fortuitous meetings and um, joining paths with people that turned out to be very um, fortunate for me. Uh, and I'm really grateful to the people along the way that, that um, have made that possible. Uh, started uh, as a just a regular designer coming out of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena uh, and um, joined a company called Hauser in Westlake Village. Met some really fantastic people over there um, who then ended up alongside uh, me at Belkin, uh, namely Ernesto Quinteros, who is now the chief design officer at J&J. Uh, &J, became... I, I know, I remember, uh, I mean, such a great team of people that were at Hauser. What a great, yeah, agency, right? It, it was quite a team. I stayed there for not uh, no more than two years, but um, the opportunity became available for me to, to join Ernesto at Belkin. And uh, a whole bunch of us uh, Hauser folks ended up there. And uh, a lot of us are still there today. And uh, while Ernesto has moved on uh, a number of years ago, I was able to uh, take on some of his responsibilities. Um, the company has really changed a lot since then. So the, the kind of growth curve for design was really super dramatic in the early days. And we're talking about 20 years ago. This, is, uh, this started in uh, 2000. Uh, and I just celebrated my 21st anniversary there, uh, which wow. is kind of shocking, but also amazing. Um, so we we came in at a time when design was not commonplace and industrial design, good user experience was not a commonplace uh, practice in a lot of companies, especially not in consumer electronics. And we uh, brought some of that design thinking that we had um, and our team had had the opportunity to learn and craft in the earlier days. 
and brought that to this company that had been previously not really very familiar with what it means to make really great innovative products uh, on their own. Uh, and we grew that drastically and we invested super heavily in the company really um, thrived. It was a huge, huge asset to Belkin, um, especially in the early days. Now today, you look at a completely different uh, landscape. You know, the landscape has completely changed. Everyone who's listening to this podcast will be well aware of that, that um, industrial design, user experience, consumer experience, all of these terms really have become kind of a, a practice that is table stakes these days. You don't need to show up if you don't have those um, elements present in your, in your company's thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's very different today. We were able to do a lot of crazy things and very, very innovative and, um, and creative products were launched. Not all of them were terribly successful. Some of them were, but some of them were not. But most of all, it afforded us to become really um, a, a really intrinsic component in Belkin's history and in Belkin's um, world. This is how Belkin um, acts in the, in the business world and how Belkin shows up became really driven by design. Design became what Belkin became known for uh, because of what we were able to do there. And so we've built an amazing team of people and an amazing competency within the organization. Uh, and now where it's table stakes, we have to yeah. go with the flow. We have to continue to evolve in, in the way that is competitive. We have to constantly show and prove our worth. And that's becoming difficult. You know, it's very difficult, more difficult than ever before. But it's an amazing challenge that we're absolutely able to take on with this great team of people that we have. I love that you've kind of walked us through this history, um, your journey within the company, but also Belkin's journey with realizing the value of design and how it's really distinguished this company, right? And its products to not just in the market, but to their consumers. I mean, there's a lot there to talk about. You, you've touched on it and we've got it. You know, I'm sure everybody's wondering because this, like any business, as a result of the pandemic, the world has now shifted and pivoted and is or still morphing and changing, right? Um, like every single business, there's a lot that's um, assumed that you have to reevaluate, right? Whether it's customers, the supply chain, the business model, what's... Um, you know, you're at the helm here. What's going, what are you guys looking at? How do you guys look at what's shifting and how do you process this now? What, you know, do you have any, can you share with us what you guys are, you know, what's in your head? Yeah, I think what's most critically important for somebody um, who's involved in the leadership of a company is the business aspect. How do you make money by doing what you're doing? There's quite a few companies out there that have grandiose um, plans for, uh, a variety of different uh, things that don't pan out on the business side. So we have to watch our, our bottom line. We have mm-hmm. to make sure that what we engage in and what we invest in is actually profitable and benefits the organization over, over the long term. We, of course, are part of a greater um, publicly traded organization today. That's FIT, uh, subsidiary of Foxconn, which is a, uh, a very, very large entity. So where we started was privately owned, very, very self-directed. Now we have bigger goals, bigger roles to play in the the 
scheme of the organization in general. It's no longer just what can we do for Belkin. It's also what can we do for the larger organization. So the relationships we have built in the industry um, are really super important. And design plays a very, very large role there because it really is maybe more than many other things, the secret sauce of the organization is what is what's unique, what makes us unique. And the people that are running uh, and leading and then also contributing to that work inside the organization are the lifeblood of the business. So while we have to watch the bottom line, we have to make sure our investments will pay off. Mm-hmm. It's so important to watch every single individual who's on these teams that creates the products that we make. Because without really great products, you have nothing. You know, while we, we're weathering the current global challenges that exist for every one of our competitors, every one of us is experiencing the same thing, um, we have to be just as smart as anyone else to be able to sustain it. Mm. You know, it just means you have to be very mindful of how much money you spend on what you're doing. It's really, unfortunately, very simple. Right. Uh, and if you have some insights into that, which I am fortunate to have, you bear a lot of the responsibility for making unpopular decisions sometimes and, mm. and disappointing decisions. Um, but ultimately, we're here to, to thrive in our careers and thrive in our families and you know, build livelihoods. And that's yeah. what's most important, ultimately. I think you're touching on something that I think there's, as the as an industry design professionals, the concept is we're here to create solutions, create product, create, you know, um, services, solve problems. But the other piece of this is design sits within business. And so you have that added constraint and really successful design has to take into account the financial metrics of what makes a business successful. And that's what I think when I'm hearing you, you know, as a design leader, the, those are the difficult decisions you have to make, right? Well, not- we all, you know, we are all familiar with that, right? Yeah. You ask a salesperson what they would like to have to take to their sales meeting. They want everything. They want everything. They want amazing renderings. They want a fully functional prototype. They want everything and anything they can have. Throw yeah. a video and, uh, you know, a live show. Maybe they can't have that because we can't afford that. Um, so if you ask a designer what they would like to do for a product, it's the same set, exact story. Well, we all yeah. have an innate desire to just do everything all the time for everything and do everything too well. Uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of person who, um, you know, sometimes struggles with and has struggled with that in the past to turn off my desire to do everything all the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, it's still something, it's kind of like being an addict to something, you know, that may never go away. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, that's one of the hardest things to do, by the way, is to turn off your, your, will, the, your desire to work on something. Yeah, to create, we're, <laughs> designers love creating and then solving problems, right? So when you're being asked to, your immediate reaction is just to go and do it when that's not necessarily the best step to take initially, right? That's very true. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's been another part of that experience is to have to really have no choice, you know, when, uh, when you, and, and it's, you know, some people might see that as a benefit or a perk to be able to turn things on and off, but um, 
it's um it's sometimes the hardest part of the job is to tell people to stop working on something and to yeah. let it be and it's good yeah. enough you know where yeah. we as a company really want to thrive and strive i want to say to do things in a really exceptionally wonderful way all the time there's no question about that but that's a classic example of when as a manager right but what do you have to do you have to help mm-hmm. people be okay with stopping work on something and doing something else I love, I love that you, you know, bring that up because I think it is important for, I think that's a distinction, how people move up within their career also is knowing how to prioritize. You're talking about a certain level of prioritizing, especially when you have a lot of customers, let's say as a design leader, your customers are not necessarily the consumers, but we're talking about other divisions, the C-suite, you know, if your Belkin is now part of a larger you know, conglomerate of other companies, you're speaking to those customers as well and helping them understand, no, design is not about making that calendar or quick, <laughs> whatever, but let's focus on the top priorities. It's just, I love that. So you've talked about table stakes, you know, and, and let's bring this up for, to be successful in design today. It's not just industrial design. Um, You talked about it being industrial design, you know, user experience, customer, uh, customer experience. Is that, you know, I think the the classics are still here, right? It's all about user experience, period. Mm -hmm. User experience uh, translates into customer experience, all the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. I always say that everything's a design project. I mean, you can look at it that way as well. If uh, if you have a good experience with the brand, with the, with a the service, then you're going to come back, and this is the same thing. Um, what's changed, uh, Angie, is that uh, I think the traditional skill set of the industrial designer is uh, still incredibly useful, but the the more modern skill sets of uh, software development, mm-hmm. software user experience, are terribly useful and, and valuable these days. It's, uh, you know, everything is cyclical. I would assume, you know, new things come to light, you know, new markets open up, user experience and software development are hot, hotter than ever before. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're seeing is that, you know, having a skillful, experienced team of industrial designers is priceless. You know, you have, you can be super efficient with that skill set, and you can certainly build on that to be an exceptionally good user experience designer as well by understanding simply how people work and tick and to be empathetic with people and listen to them and to understand how something may work or not. And also to, to figure out how to inquire about it, how to test it, how to, how to really check yourself. But the ability to work with software is the biggest, uh, most tangible change and new kind of new part of our world where um, the, 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 the need to develop apps and certain software solutions is part of our workflow now more than it has ever been in the past. You know, we at Belkin, we started doing that, I want to say almost 10 years ago now, when we started working on home, smart home products. We have a brand called Wemo that uh, is one of the OGs of uh, you know, smart home technology. Um, that required a lot of software development, user experience work. And that is also today still um, the hottest part of, of our work. Uh, it's the most competitive field for designers today. Um, it uh, must be nice to be a user experience designer these days. You get to ask for a lot. Yeah. Quality of life. 
talk about how quality of life has changed, right? And that's become immediately number one. I mean, we're coming into this age right now where um, more professionals, any, we're not even talking design, any industry, people are unplugging because they're, re, you know, taking a, re, a restock of their career and their life and wondering what I want to do next. Um, there's so quality of life, how you're working. I'd be curious to hear how, how do you, you know, in the last couple of years, what have you guys done? What have you noticed in what your teams need and what have you, you know, done to accommodate that and to support your design teams? So we actually were kind of fortunate um, because while we have an exceptionally delightful corporate headquarters facility in Playa Vista, California, uh, and we've been there for nearly 10 years now, mm-hmm. um, uh, actually, sorry, more than that, um, we, we had a situation where our lease expires. Uh, in fact, it expired today or yesterday. I think um, it's it's an incredible uh, confluence because it enabled us to while we were looking for where we we're going to go next to take into consideration what's going on with COVID and the ensuing working from home uh, trend, which I think is uh, all around an incredibly beneficial thing for for most people. Um, it enables us. It enable, has enabled us to have no choice but to work from home for a long time. We learned a ton about what needs to be provided to our employees and what may not need to be provided. So subsequently, what we've done is instead of moving to another building that was the same size and maybe bigger and you know expand, we said, okay, instead of one office, we're going to have a few hundred offices um, in people's homes and build a new corporate headquarter that allows people to still primarily work from home. A vast majority of our employees will be working in a hybrid uh, position. Mm-hmm. Afford them the ability to come 24 seven to a corporate headquarters building that is primarily designed to provide labs, uh, technology, uh, prototyping and engineering uh, technology, mm-hmm. but also collaborative spaces and uh, kind of enjoyable place, an enjoyable place to work where it can be very productive. Uh, a lot of people maybe not don't have the perfect setup at home uh, and maybe you do want to come together as teams occasionally, but we recognize that working from home is the way to go for most people. It's terribly uh, yeah. efficient. And we've seen, um, I, I personally have observed a really encouraging level of productivity. You know, it slumps here and there. And I think that's just human nature but um, this new place we're going to move in is going to be um, designed for temporary occupancy. You know, you, you come in when you need yeah. to and when you want to, instead of being at your desk uh, all day, every day and driving to and from work every day, you get to come in when you need to, when you want to, you spend some quality time there and then you go back home and that's where your main office may be. Um, so that was a, really incredibly amazing experience to be part of because uh, it, it enabled me to participate with a group of really smart people in building a, a better place for us, you know, and you, you come from a, we've come from this place that was a huge source of pride for us to, to move into this Playa Vista location uh, in 2010. Um, super place, you know, this, it was, it was really tremendous, but looking at it now, we recognize how much we have 
basically wasted space in many instances and focused on, on physical spaces that were not efficient. And uh, when you can now combine people's desire to work in this way with this uh, and allowing them that, that's our great hope is that people will really embrace that and will really thrive that way. Yeah, I think research shows that there's a breakdown now of different types of preferences, right? Work preferences. There's some that want to stay completely remote, some that will want that flexibility remote and some bit of that socialization, right? And then there's some that want to socialize a lot more. It's a range. And when they want to come to your, you know, to the corporate office, the purpose is to socialize and to congregate, you know, responsibly, of course. Let, let's talk about design. I mean, you user experience, UX, there's certain pieces of the, of the work in this creative industry that can be done remotely, but what's your thought and how's your company dealing with certain projects that, you know, I have some clients, recruitment clients that say fully remote, we know our teams know how to do it. And they have some clients that say, no, this is ergonomics, this is technical mechanical, you know, we need someone, you know, we need to watch and observe people doing it, for instance. What's your take on, on how you guys solve that problem? So um, Ernesto, um, my great friend and mentor, uh, he put this in my head, the, the concept of ideality, um, which is kind of an old fashioned notion of how do you arrive at incremental improvements you envision what is the theoretical ideal for something right so the theoretical and it may not be ever attainable but at least you have some kind of target so the the theoretical ideal is you don't ever have to go anywhere you can stay at home but you get all the work done in a perfect way and you consider all possibilities and you're you know you have all empathies imparted upon you automatically and magically that doesn't exist so what I believe is that for some work, mm-hmm. physical proximity is inevitable. And you, if you don't do it, you're going to fail. And I strongly believe that industrial design, the design of physical objects, um, is a hundred times better when it comes from people who've actually seen each other and touched things. And, you know, that's just. Yeah. And you, watched you know, each other, right? Watch each other, observe each other. Yeah. And it also takes time and it takes iteration and it takes, you know, repeated exposure to it, at least for me. You know, there's some people who we all know this, you know, can you review this? You review it and you miss 10 things and you review it five more times until you get it right. Right. That's classical human nature. Mm. So that is why uh, in our organization, we've decided that. Um, the industrial design team will be required to live close enough to the office so that we can come to the office when we need to. Um, That is not the case with every other discipline. And that is simply because what these folks are working on may not depend as much on this physical exposure to the subject matter. Uh, For example, if, if you work in the creative team, then in uh, creative in our organization means, you know, um, graphic design, user interactive work that is often, you know, screen bound. If you're working in a, in a team that works on the website, you really can be anywhere you want. I mean, this right. really, now Data, you, visual, digital, you can see the thing the same way yeah. I can see it from anywhere. Um, yeah. 
And would I like to see you in person? Absolutely. And would I love to invite you to come in every other day? Absolutely. I would love that. But is it business critical? Hmm, probably not. It's business critical uh, to maintain a level of constant exposure to one another so you can build some group cohesion and so you have a sense of belonging. You cannot undervalue that, which is why we built an amazing place that people can come to and hopefully will come to. But where I was uh, going with that is that there are some groups and uh, that have different, really different needs. So industrial design in our organization, we will and we will see each other. Uh, we will come together. Um, the branding creative team, maybe not so much. Um, mm -hmm. we, these are hybrid roles. You know, so we are asking people, especially when they're a manager level, to be close to the office. So that is possible. Um, and user experience in particularly is evolving into software user experience. You know, where we, we used to have a more hybrid account of what the job description entails for a user experience designer. Um, we've always had industrial design be user experience as well. That has not changed. Mm -hmm. um, that's more physical setup, um, man, you know, the manual quick start guide, uh, packaging, out-of-box experience. All of that is, is user experience, but it's different user experience from what the UX team is doing. And the UX team really is focusing on software experiences. Um, they will interact with hardware, but the exposure, the physical exposure to the hardware, we don't believe is so critical to have to be uh, a, a in, in location. So we're very, very open to remote work there, um, which is also partially bound by necessity because we have a very tough job market. And believe it or not, about 90% of applicants who are interested in user experience work don't want to come to the office. They're putting, their foot, down. They're putting their foot down and they're saying, "Yeah, I don't want to come to the office. I don't need to come to the office. And you take it or leave it. But the upside is we can work with people from anywhere. And that's huge. It's huge. It's a huge benefit. And we have worked with, from people, with people that are in all over the place. Um, and we embrace that. So we, um, we've got set some limits, you know, where, with respect to time zones and things like that. But um, it's been a pretty good start. Yeah. I think in the, the last two years have shown us anything, wide majority of different professions and you know, work can be done remotely. And, and, and the biggest shift, you're right. And I'm, you know, we, I know we talked about this earlier. You're, there's a lot of talent right now that know that they can get that work done remotely. You know? And yeah. so balancing that quality of life um, that's so important to them now, to talent, you, I think a, a smart employer, a smart company is going to want to be flexible as much as they can in certain, in where they can um, find that kind of talent. That's absolutely right. Yeah. I love, I love your, I love how, um, you know, you and your team and Belkin understands that. Um, and that's certainly why, you know, it's going to allow you guys to continue to attract talent. Um, let's talk about, look, can we talk about being a design leader? And I think you're in a very, you're in an enviable role, but I'm, I'm certain that obviously a great piece of this is because you've 
built this, you know, this design department and you've built that respect for design within your corporation. I know uh, a lot of design leaders where they're in a company where, and, and having watched corporations going through a cyclical pattern of design awareness, design investment, um, the value from design, and then kind of peeking at that saying, well, let's, let's ride that out. Right. And I think you've seen it as well. Companies that have gone through that pro that journey of seeing reaping the rewards from design and then thinking, you know, living off of it and then losing it when they, you know, lose that process. Um, and then to come back to, to reinvest in it. We've seen that in so many companies. Um, what's the advice that you might give to design leaders that are facing that where the C-suite may not understand the value of design? Uh, long-term, you know, how do you, have you walked through conversations like that? Mm. Yeah. So I want to be really clear. I didn't build this. Uh, this was a very, very big joint effort. Yes. By many Along people. with many design oh, leaders yes. as well, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and, um, and it was not a big struggle, you know, just to be very honest with you, because yeah. in this organization, thanks to the work that uh, Ernesto sure. and, and our team has done in the early days, we really did build the credibility that is necessary and that had a lot of adjacencies, you know, that goes into consumer insights, user experience, that goes into um, branding, a team of people who actually understand branding. It extends into the engineering world, building innovative owned in-house in teams and so on, right? So that is what we called innovation design group, uh, people that were involved in that kind of work. That foundation was laid and built a huge amount of credibility. So it was an, kind of an organic process. It was built on the notion that the CEO and uh, the leaders of the company believed back then that it was necessary to do this. So a lot of work was done already for me, right? And for our team. Uh, so it wasn't a huge lifting that I had to do or we had to do to convince people. I want to be clear. And so we're still benefiting from that, you know? So the curve that you described is real. There was a huge excitement in the beginning, huge amounts of investment, huge amount also of the benefits that were reaped from being different, more exciting than other companies may have been. Uh, and of course that becomes harder and harder. Yeah, There's like a, a curve that at some point, like you just said, it kind of levels out. And other considerations as competitors catch up, you know, which they have, many cases, our competitors are now, you know, doing things maybe similarly the way we used to do them. And our job is to try to stay ahead. So in our organization, I'm very fortunate to understand that my fellow uh, leaders are on the same page. We know that design is good design, which is a, a big sort of placeholder for all these other things I mentioned, uh, sound, a research-based human factors, human needs, considering sort of like human-centered design philosophy is a must-have for a company uh, to, to be able to command the respect in the industry that we would like to respect, uh, to, to receive. We are not a company that rubber stamps products and throws them on the market and see what sticks. That's just not what we want to be. So um, what advice do I have for other people? It's you have to understand what kind of company you want to be. If you want to be a company that, uh, that makes commoditized products uh, quickly, um, delivers them fast, 
Yeah, you can get that design probably in many different places and you probably don't need to build an internal innovation structure. You probably need somebody who can own the quality control and make sure that things don't look terrible and they work well. But you, you will you'll build an organization that focuses on other things. That's not what we're doing. We're doing that too. And so as such, it's a pretty easy discussion. If we want that, then you have to have good design leadership. You have to have a solid foundation in competency. You have to have people who really know what they're doing. And then that discussion is pretty straightforward. Yeah. The, the people that you're working with in those other divisions understand the value, right? What the rigor, kind of the amount of time and investment it takes to really do this, they understand that value. But it, it, I, I know it can be a really big struggle. And it's not the same for every, divi- I would say not for every discipline. You know, um, I speak, I spoke about the, the time that we've been around and how, how we've built a solid foundation of trust. That is priceless. You know, uh, other disciplines that are part of the organization may not have had the chance to shine like that, to build these kind of like incredible deep relationships that are now sort of like, uh, uh, you know, hammered into stone that can't be removed. So it's, it's about building trust. If I can be a professional that provides you with a service that you know is beneficial to you, you're not going to, you're going to mess with it. So that's, that's my hope is that we can continue to do that work um, with incredibly um, solid, competent design uh, engineering an incredibly deep understanding of, of um, the craft, mm-hmm. you, know, you cannot replace that. If all you spout is hot air and in the end, what you make doesn't, doesn't um, generate revenues or it's not right. manufacturable, right. then you lose the credibility. We've had some instances where the products we've designed were you know, skating on thin ice. We made some things that were hard to make that tests the organization. Ultimately, those were big money makers. Well, I mean, I think every company goes through that process where they might, you know, venture into developing something that's, you know, a little bit risky or doesn't necessarily meet the needs of the industry or the customer, right? Yeah. It's interesting from, I feel like from a business standpoint, MBA business world doesn't necessarily understand the process of iteration in some sense, right? That, that product line, that category. How do you, how did you walk your company through saying, all right, so this is, you know, a learned experience or, I mean, how did you frame it? How do you frame you know, a product line that doesn't necessarily meet the needs? Well, a product line that doesn't meet the needs is, um, is not going to make it to market. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the goal, right? Right. Um, and then through, I think through the design process, you're able to indicate and realize this earlier on than some companies that just keep pushing along, you know, develop something, run it, keep it going, keep going, not going through that process of due diligence to reevaluate. Yeah, sometimes you can predict things. Sometimes you can't. And sometimes, you know, as, uh, as industrial designers or as user experience designers or creatives, we are, I think, not sometimes, but in many, many cases, we are delivering a service to people who own the business. You know, like in our organization, the, the product the ideas can come from anywhere and often stem from designers or salespeople or, or mm-hmm. others. But right. um, 
uh, if there's a business venture that we would like to engage in, then our design team may be tasked with making something that services that business need. And if that business doesn't pan out, there can be a million reasons, uh, then that isn't necessarily, you know, you can't really fault the design. It's, it's just um, sometimes the business venture doesn't pan out. Those are yeah. you know, things that we're seeing today where we, I would say we have a faster notice of that kind of stuff than in the past, just simply because of e-commerce and you can launch product lines and quickly see if they fail or succeed, you know, things like that. It's very helpful. Right. And that's another great thing about being an internal resource and part of the internal kind of fabric of the organization is to be completely aware of those dynamics. If you're a consultancy, often, you know, you don't ever get to see that kind of stuff. You make yeah. something and the baby leaves the house and you never see it again. And you find out later that fell off the cliff. Uh, that doesn't happen at Belkin. Um, our teams are completely there all the time. And if it fails, you're going to know about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I love being in this organization, being part of a company that does afford our team that kind of access and transparency. It's just a really kind of, um, uh, for for somebody like me who loves to know all of it, everything all the time, uh, I love that being able to see it and not having to wonder about it. Well, and that allow that informs your decisions, right? And it informs the initiatives that you focus on and what you're building and how you're building it, how what kind of problems you're solving. It it also informs my ability and our leader's ability to support one another in making decisions about whether to do certain things or not, mm. you know, because it's easy to say, okay, the business owner, that's their job, like product management, they own the decision about making something or not. Yeah. But we should contribute to that. And we're always invited to the table with these discussions. Um, and it's, I think that's where, where I think this kind of congeals around this notion that um, being part of a, organization that has a design team like ours means you you have you really have a, a part of the stakes you know you're you're really you're offered the opportunity to really own part of this in and if you you know i always say you know the worst thing you can do is not say you can do is not say something when you're concerned then you're at fault um and and i think our team really embraces that it's just the kind of the kind of people that we have love being at the table and they love having access to the information and being able to be heard. Mm -hmm. I love this. I love the environment that's, that's um, that you're leading, you know, the team that you've got there and the company and its respect for design and its um, impact. Well, uh, you've shared so much that's really, I think, valuable for a lot of people who are in different companies and wondering what it's like to lead, you know, design to this extent. Yeah, I, I, I get a, a lot of questions around um, how do you advance and how, how, do, how do you manage to, you know, attain a leadership position. And that's where I think it's really important to uh, instill into people that uh, you get what you go get yourself. And, uh, you know, I've many, many instances in my career where I've witnessed people who are waiting to be handed something and you're not going to get it you know if you're if you're just waiting to be handed something i think i think that's a sort of a general life lesson you probably you might not get it so you have to make sure that people understand that you want that again that's a i think that's a life lesson that uh, goes way beyond 
your career. Um, but that goes into uh, how do you become a, uh, you know, let's say you have an entry level position. How do you get to the next level? Well, you don't wait until someone tells you you're now next level. Yeah. You, you, you just go ahead and do that. You know, I've, I've told people, you know, pretend you own the joint, you know, like just. Yeah. And, and you're right to that point, you know, certainly in some companies, there are other people who have roles and responsibilities. It's having that going about it the right way and having that discussion, but speaking up, you know, to say, this is something I want to move into. I want to be involved in. Let me, you know, participate in that project. Right. Or this is an insight and ability I can bring to the table for this initiative. There's another thing that, that is a nice tangent from that, I think, and that also informed by the experience of the last couple of years of working in, in different contexts um, where, you know, I'm, I'm one of millions of people whose lives have drastically changed. You know, I sit now in my garage office here. As you can see, these are my beautiful garage furniture. Love it. I love your backdrop. Everybody's got different kinds of backdrop. Love the <laughs> My junk over here. My yeah. um, but yeah. From a time in which I was, I never sat still in the office because I was constantly seeing people walking around from meeting to meeting and team, uh, running around and seeing people all day long to a time where I have to go and actually seek that conversation mm -hmm. is it's a huge dangerous moment for people because, you know, especially if you're naturally not extroverted if you tend to be a bit more um, private or introverted, it's really easy for people to become invisible. Yes. And I think if I had that one piece of advice is please try not to be invisible because you will sabotage your own career. Uh, I think that's a real problem. And we're probably gonna see that, you know, as the years go by, we're probably gonna see some real data around this. But I have no doubt that people who are not willing to click, you know, turn on the video and just be there to be seen, yeah. that ultimately that's not going to be good. If you want to progress in your career, yeah, you have to participate and you have to show up and you have to, yeah. And it is harder. And so you, people do have to make a more concerted effort. It's interesting you bring this point up because I obviously speak to so many people um, at some point in their career and, for those that are wanting to strive to move to that next level, there is a, an interesting divide. There's a, you know, one camp that says, why am I not getting that opportunity? And it is about, you know, it, it is harder now, certainly to, to get into that conversation, right? How do you, yeah. if you don't have that and, and, and you're right. It's amazing when you're in a room, you're hearing a dis different project going on, a different uh, initiative, you can just step into that conversation a little bit, right? Or um, align with another department. Um, it's also I, much harder to, for your personality to to actually have an effect on people. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think they, it'll be different for everyone. But um, I think that is that's a big challenge. And that's why also returning to the office should be something that, you know, at least sometimes, not all the time. I'm not for yeah. that, you know, not every day, please. I'm happy to work from home, <laughs> but please don't sit on your, on your hands and, um, and expect good things to just happen. Yeah. Because um, networking with people and having relationships with people is not going away. That is still going to be the lifeblood of anyone's yeah. career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there's so much around networking. I know a lot of people who join organizations when all of a sudden they're ready to make that move. And really, you want to be a part of those communities and a part of those conversations even before it's time, right? How is that? Um, how is that um, affected your business? Because I mean, I would assume that you know you've always done, or as long as I've known you, you've done work uh, remotely and you know connected with people all over the place. But how does how do you see that? affecting what you're seeing? Well, and obviously I think, um, and, and let me just speak to these organizations, which I think are absolutely invaluable. Um, I've heard people debate about organizations like IDSA, IXDA, AIA, you know, DMI. And I think these organizations are highly valuable, probably more so now because um, you don't have those so, uh, social forums as much. Um, you, you need these formal organizations. I, I just remember, you know, Oliver, I remember seeing you at these conferences, either maybe one or both of us were speakers, right? And walking through those conferences and, you know, just swapping business cards and connecting with people, getting to know them, getting to know their personalities um, and what made them shine individually. I think today, uh, I mean, and part of what we do, whether it's recruitment and professional development work for, you know, design professionals, we're always out there at those industry events. Nowadays, it's virtual. Um, and, you know, it, it's having more of those private conversations, I think, in lieu of. And I think nowadays we're, you know, in fact, this is why we've built this podcast, because even prior to the pandemic, these private conversations that I get to have with you, I think these, the, the insights that we're sharing, that you're sharing, there's so many people who are primed to be an amazing design leader or wanting to un understand how to take it to the next level, how to help encourage their companies to invest in design better, right? Mm -hmm. um, hearing these conversations, and this is why we've chosen to um, start our podcast so that more people can be inspired by what you know, other design professionals like yourself have done. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we've chosen to do this because even with those organizations, there can't be enough places for people to connect. So, yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I think the return to some level of normalcy is, so, I mean, it, it's just, I, can't, I cannot stress how mm. annoyed I am by the fact that we are kind of condemned to sit at home uh, because I think so much success comes from physically meeting people, not so much maybe the people that you need, you work with all the time. I think there are some ways you can, you can work off your social uh, credit that you have, but um, you know, building new business relationships is just incredibly difficult. I think, you know, so I, I'm, I was always, most excited to travel places to to meet customers and to see their you know being able to be in the environment that they're in and understand what they need you know especially with retail experience for example mm -hmm. uh and that has just evaporated and i'm so excited for it to come back we had a few blips along the way in the in the last year where we thought okay maybe it'll come back we just always just kind of fell flat again so knock on wood we uh will not have another year of this um, so I'm for sure it will, I'm sure it will come and go. And it's interesting to, um, find out what kind of solutions are being developed to allow people to congregate more responsibly now. Right. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. We need, we absolutely need it. Uh, with trade shows, I'm not so sure. We, we are, um, you know, I'm also fortunate to work on some of our trade show work with our marketing teams. And uh, that's still going to be kind of hit and miss for a while to see how that industry evolves. Uh, it's accelerating the digital work. And a lot of what we're doing as designers is going to, you know, go more into this kind of touchless world. Um, but people are never going to not need smart people to figure out how to solve problems. And that's what we need to do. So a design problem to solve is how do you go from, how do you go forward in your career? What do people need from you? You know, so everything's a design problem. It's interesting. Um, when you talk about how do you move forward in your career and, you know, we get to sit on both sides. We sit between, you know, employers and talent and we kind of, and we also sit between business and design. And it's interesting how there's a difference of opinion or there's a disconnect in that conversation. And so for all those years of recruitment, helping employers understand what design talent looks like, and that can be a very complicated conversation, right? Um, we realized that, and, and you, you're talking about how Belkin has evolved and changed. We realized that while we're helping employers understand what design talent, how, what they thrive on, what their archetypes are like, and, and you know, how they bring value to a company, we came to realize that creative professionals themselves need to understand how to speak to business. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you know, that's what Thrive by Design is. That's what we've built that for, to help people understand how are they pivoting their career? What is it that they need to understand about what kinds of opportunities, projects are best for them to work on? You know, I love your point about stopping your design team just from the knee-jerk reaction of let's just go ahead and solve that problem. Mm. Before going through that motion of just executing, let's step back and decide what's the best kind of work for us to focus on. It's, it, it's interesting because that is where you have the double-edged sword of being in-house and having all the transparency mm. I was speaking about earlier. If, you're, um, if you don't know about this, you're blissfully ignorant and you just take orders from the client, right? That could be a great benefit. So I think it really is about the kind of character of the nature of work that you would like to work within. But if you're a designer, and you don't have an interest, if you're an industrial designer, let me just start there. If you're a person in commercial design and you don't empathize with your clients or maybe your own business mm-hmm. needs and you're missing something really super fundamental. Um, and I wasn't always super aware of that either. You know, that's just something that has evolved. And, you know, not too long ago, um, I, I learned that that was one of my big gaps is this the, the financial acumen, developing a financial um, business-related acumen. And so I'm focusing on that. That's one of my personal goals to kind of become more um, eloquent and more um, aware of and uh, able to navigate financial issues. So that's where you build, uh, you know, when you have that kind of uh, in, a, in a position where you're in a position when you can do that, you work closely with the financial team to build proper business plans for the design team. But it's a, it's, you don't, you get to choose that too, as a designer, if you don't want right. to look at that, you don't have to, but you're just not going to go, 
into a managerial role at some level. I think a lot of creative professionals start out thinking that it's not a category they want to cover. Um, but to your point, you're going to be a more effective, you know, leader within a company, design leader within a company, if you can understand what, you know, the C-suite is considering or what all the other divisions have to keep in mind, right? I mean, the end goal is not just to design products that are beautiful, but that they're, you know, this is for a business objective, right? That's right. Yeah. And you will never forget the fact that the, it's the touch point that makes your brand. So you have enormous power Yeah. as a designer. Right? Um, so right now, tell me what life is like for you. What do you do? You've got your career, you know, I mean, I know this consumes you, but like, what do you, what's, what's outside of work for you, Oliver? Well, pandemic uh, life has been, um, has, has been very nice uh, for me, I have to say. And, uh, you know, I, I have a, a toddler and a, a wife and a stepdaughter and, and we uh, are very, very fortunate. We haven't been ill. We haven't had any kind of uh, terrible things happen. So that's been very, very, uh, you know, fortunate. And I feel very, very lucky. Um, we live in Long Beach, California. Uh, I no longer live super close to the office. I used to, you know, when I had to go to the office every day, that was my my favorite thing. I lived very close to Playa Vista, so I had a really short commute. But I wouldn't have had the, the idea to move to Long Beach. That was a pretty long commute. Now we're about to move to a new corporate headquarters in El Segundo. So that commute, I can handle that commute. Um, but, you know, uh, life is... Um, it's very much about work. It's um, I take it incredibly seriously because I'm um, I know how important it is for everyone who works on uh, our teams, um, how responsible we have to be as leaders to make sure we help people um, thrive. That's uh, and I'm not just saying that because that's the name of your your company. Um, but this is, it's, it's been really actually very, very good. Um, but I do not get my 10,000 steps in every day anymore. That's my, <laughs> right. You got to find that. You've got to find that in, by the way, I love how you've moved to Long Beach. You're in Long Beach, California. And, uh, my, my weekend home is in Long Beach, Long Island, which is just really funny. Right. Opposite ends. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and I love awesome. hearing that you, you know, it's beautiful. I mean, I've heard a lot of people also finding that balance. And so I love that you found that balance, you know, a better balance in your life. Yeah. And, and this is, I think, what our opportunity is now, right? We've been yeah. given a tremendous opportunity, really, to not have to drive to work every single day for a lot of us. Yeah. Those of us, I mean, still many people do. And, and I'm grateful for them uh, when they do that, because not everyone is in a kind of work that we do. Um, so we, we should try not to mess it up. Yeah, because I think when people get kind of complacent and start becoming very, very entitled to continue to like benefit from all these wonderful things, it's dangerous. We have to be cognizant that we've been, we've, it's kind of a blessing, but there's millions of people who, who still do what they were doing before. And, uh, you know, I, I look at our um, uh, competitors in, in China and other places that are, they're not working from home. You know, they're not, yeah. they're not insisting on some of the perks that we have. 
So I'm just very cognizant of that and how competitive we have to remain if we want to earn our keep. That's a really important lesson that um, I've, I've, you know, kind of um, had to accept that we, the days of, you know, 2006, when we were able to do whatever the hell we wanted, because we were cool and we had amazing mm-hmm. ideas. Those mm-hmm. days are gone. We got to, we got to deliver. And yeah. so I'm super proud of the team that we have because uh, those are some incredibly talented and motivated people that uh, are not letting off. Yeah. So we're here to, um, to deliver. And that's what you should expect from our team, no matter from where we work. I love that as a reason. I mean, I was in, I'm in a my, different programs and in, in, in a particular mastermind and early on in the pandemic, one of the discussions was if we could see the positive side um, of the pandemic, what could that be? And for me, you know, I think that it's been such an, um, a sudden awakening for all of us, quality of life and how important that is. And also from the employer standpoint to realize how valuable and important that is for the people that are giving their talent, their gift to help build towards a common goal, right? So loving that your company understand, is one of those companies that understands that. And that is going to be such a massive divide between companies that understand that versus the ones that don't, right? Talent's looking for that today, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a big opportunity. Yeah. Uh, we, we work very hard to um, realize a lot of the, the, um, the theoretical ideals that exist. Mm. Uh, we go into even diversity and inclusion, mm. uh, you know, social justice, environmental efforts. There's mm-hmm. a lot of that happening that never that never stopped. Yeah. So those are things that are on top of what we're doing already. So we cannot forget that we cannot let off. I think a lot of people are wondering what um, the work that we, you know, you talked about pivoting and how different businesses are, are pivoting as well. And we've pivoted to meet the needs of but not just employers, but understand what are the things that we can do to help creative professionals, you know, advance in their career. And I think it's, building a successful career in design it's not as simplistic as let's say checkers but it's more complicated like chess where there's a lot of elements to keep in mind you know how do you support the companies that you work for and and take them even further i'm just curious what your thoughts you know if you could share what that was like for you and how it's helped you understand you know how to be a better design leader you know a lot of the people that i believe will seek counsel from you um are do recognize have already undergone like the first most important step is they recognize they could use a little bit of coaching um and there might be some new aspects to what coaching they might need compared to the past you know in the past they may have slightly different needs but the i don't think the fundamentals change the fundamentals are just i think about kind of a personal attitude and personal um, just a, a kind of character um, and, and motivation. And, uh, you know, motivation and, and sort of self-actuation, I, I, to me, are always the biggest subjects that help me just personally. Uh, and, when, uh, and when a coach can help you get some of that, 
by maybe just listening to you and, and taking what you say and translating that into smart questions, that is so priceless. And so that is just what I've observed, you know, what um, with when we spoke uh, in the past and, and when, when I've spoken to other people about uh, similar things, um, it's, it's often already all there. You already have most of the tools, but people need to tickle out of you what you might need to focus on. You may need to pivot. So I'm not sure, uh, Angie, if today is so different from the past. It's, it's just like the expression of what you need to change might change. You know, it's yeah. show up at the office, make your boss meet you at the office, be there when, you know, when other people are there so they can see you Yeah. or, or actually pick up the phone or, you know, teams, your finance manager and ask them how their work, you know, how they do their work. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, most people I know are the most of the professionals I meet in this industry are incredibly gifted and talented and have more than enough. Um, and in fact, most of the people I speak to when I, we listen to their path, they've impacted the different companies that they've worked for. You know, we're talking millions and millions of dollars of opportunity, revenue, solving, mitigating, you know, losses. It's just insane how talented the professionals are in this industry, right? Um, and sometimes it's just unlocking or just helping, like you um, expressed, helping to see this from a different perspective, you know? And also understanding to build on that, how you can, how you can improve the way you communicate with people. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I mean, I'm by no means am I perfect there, but I've learned so much about uh, how to ask more questions, how to get a little better at listening. I'm notoriously like sort of loquacious. So, right. I mean, it, those are, those are thing, things that somebody may need to tell you. Mm. And if you're fortunate, somebody will tell you, and that could be a coach, but could also be a colleague, you know, so asking people, right how you doing is important, but seeking out coaching, I think is unbelievably valuable. Having a coach, having someone like you who has the benefit of having experienced many, 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 many different experiences and sort of synthesizing all that knowledge uh, is, is someone everybody should do. And uh, no matter who you are, you can benefit from it. Um, so I would recommend that to anybody. Uh, the, the idea that, you know, you, people shy away from that because maybe they don't want to spend the money or, mm. or so I think that's a, that's missing the point. And, um, I, I would hope then everyone can benefit from somebody like you and, um, or whatever coach they might have access to right. help them right. better and understand. Having gone through this and become a coach for a lot of creative professionals, as I've built my company, realizing that the best companies, the best leaders and founders also have their coaches. And I've found out, sought out mine. I realized there's a point where if you feel like you've learned everything you need to know, there's a time for growth and there's time to find that mentor, right? And, and I've learned that myself as well as I do this work now too. Thank you for that. Um, Oliver, it was great to listen to you and to have you share so much of your insights. 
about where you're sitting in this world and the wonderful work that you're doing there. Um, I love um, the legacy work that you've mentioned that, you know, Ernesto had built that, helped you help you along with other design leaders build that foundation there at Velkin. Um, yeah, beautiful. I love, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're super welcome. And, uh, you know, uh, love the team. Uh, some great people and um, thank you chips and everything so thank you so All much right. right have a great day everyone you too bye